0: Good morning. How are we doing today? Come on, Kearney campus. Let's hear you. Welcome to everybody watching with us online. Thanks for connecting to hear God's word today. I also want to give a special shout out to the Ogallala campus, Pastor Wes and Kim. We love you guys. I hear from Pastor Wes on a weekly basis all the amazing things that God is doing out in Ogallala and Keith County. And so we celebrate that. We're glad that we're one church in multiple locations today. And last but not least, come on, give it up for North Platte. Come on, guys. <laughs> I got to tell you, God is doing something special in North Platte, and it doesn't happen without the one church aspect with Kearney and Ogallala. This has nothing to do with rock bottom, but I love bragging about what God is doing, and so I want to share just a couple of things real quick about what God is doing at our North Platte campus. As many of you know, we moved into our new building, a new location, back just before the end of the year, and we've seen God do incredible, miraculous things. And I'm gonna celebrate a couple of things here that you could look at it kind of cynically and think, oh, they're just about the numbers. But we know that every number is a person, and every person matters to God, amen? All right, so When I share that in April, our average Sunday attendance was higher than any other month in our history. We can celebrate that, right? Come on. Secondly, our youth ministry from September to April nearly tripled. And we're seeing youth come on Sundays. We're seeing their their families get connected as well. We baptized a number of them in March, and we've got more that are getting baptized here in June. And then the last thing that I would just celebrate is, as of this morning, we've had 39 people this year surrender their lives to Jesus. Come on, that's why we exist. And so I celebrate that for the entire church because that's not just a North Platte thing, that is a new life thing, and that's a God thing that's happening out there. And so we celebrate that. Can we give God just a little (laughs) bit more praise today before we get started? All right, so today we get to wrap up our teaching series, Rock Bottom. And Rock Bottom, It's been unlike just about any other series that I can remember here at New Life. I've had so many people talk to me about how this has been speaking to them personally. It's been addressing where they're at and situations that they're facing. If you think back to week one, Pastor Jeff got us started, and we were looking at how we are to pour out our hearts to God. When we're in our rock-bottom moments, it is not something we have to go through alone, but we can pour out our hearts to God in an act of trust, and an act of worship of Him. And then week two, Pastor Nate brought a message about mental health that I still have people talking to me about. It was one that gave tremendous hope to a number of people that felt like they were suffering alone, that nobody understood what they were going through. And we had people saying, I am so glad that our church... Will hit this head on and not dance around or pretend that there aren 't mental health issues, so if you 're rock bottom and, and you 're dealing with a mental health issue, I pray that you found hope in that message that God loves you, God sees you, and God wants what wants what 's best for you and then last week, Pastor Jeff, he talked uh, we went through the book of Jonah and the story of Jonah we' got to see the Bible Project video. And, and dive into, really, are we going to live according to God's ways or man's ways? And I think that's a challenge for each of us, really, if we're honest, on a daily basis. Are we going to live according to God's ways or man's ways? This series has been so important because every single one of us will experience rock-bottom moments. You might be in that season right now. You maybe just came out of it, or maybe your rock-bottom season is still yet to come. But Jesus was up front. That we are going to have trials and tribulations, sorrows, difficulties, obstacles in this life. But we can take heart because he has overcome the world. And so when we talk about being at rock bottom, it's not some hopeless state that we have to remain in. Instead, we can find our way out. We all face rock bottom moments and seasons and circumstances. And the question then for you and for me is how are we going to respond to rock bottom? What are we going to do? What's going to be our mentality or our perspective when we find ourselves at rock bottom? It's kind of like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Does anybody remember those from like the 80s and 90s where you'd start reading this book and you'd get to a point in the story where it would say, okay, now you've got a choice to make. And if you want to make this choice, turn to page 50. If you're going to make this choice, turn to page 45. And and you'd read a little more in the story, and then you'd have another choice to make. And you were choosing your own adventure. You weren't just simply sitting back and reading this story where you had no control over the ending. Life is very similar to that. You can't necessarily control all of your circumstances, but you can control what you choose to do about them. When you find yourself at rock bottom, you're faced with a choice. Do you stay stuck in despair or do you move forward with desperation? You see, despair, it's a complete loss or an absence of hope. And desperation, it is a loss of hope, but it results in an extreme behavior. One where you don't worry about the consequences. You just know that you have to do something. You can't stay stuck. In despair. Despair is inaction and it's letting your circumstances dictate your life. It's sitting back and feeling like you're always the victim and you can't do anything about your circumstances. But desperation that is action that seeks to do something about your circumstances. You see, the enemy, he loves to try to use your circumstances, your rock bottom moments to break you. He may not have been the reason that. You found yourself at rock bottom, but when you're there, he will try to leverage that to cause as much destruction as he can. He wants to paralyze you with despair so that you feel like you are helpless and you can't move, that you're stuck at rock bottom. He's out to steal and kill and destroy, and of course, he will use your rock bottom moments against you. Today we're going to look at two people who were at rock bottom and experiencing despair due to incredibly difficult circumstances. These two people are really at opposite ends of the societal spectrum. You can't get much different than the two people we're going to look at today. They had vast differences, yet their circumstances had them both searching for Jesus. You see, our circumstances, our suffering, oftentimes, that's a great equalizer. Because we're all going to experience suffering. But the greater equalizer is that we can put our faith in Jesus and he can help us overcome. If you believe that today, say amen. Before we read the story from Scripture today, let me give you a a little bit of context. We're going to be looking at the the second half of Mark chapter 5. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. The first half is this encounter. Jesus meets this man that's been living in a cemetery. He's demon-possessed, and as Jesus encounters him, he He uh, casts out the demons from this man into this herd of pigs, and the pigs run off this cliff, and they drown, and it causes all this commotion, and the people of the town that just saw their economy go over the side of the cliff with the pigs, they get upset, and they want Jesus to leave. And so Jesus gets in a boat, and he starts to travel across the Sea of Galilee to the northwest to a town called Capernaum, where he had been before. And so let's take a look here. In this crowd of people that we're about to study, there are two people. One is the man named Jairus, and the other one is a woman who is anonymous. We're never even given her name. And these two storylines, all of a sudden, they come from the opposite ends of the societal spectrum, and they begin to weave together in incredible ways. As we'll see, both Jairus and the woman are at rock bottom now, Mark, I love the way Mark writes. He is efficient. And so I was going to try to paraphrase this, and, and I was like, you know what? We're just going to read the whole story because I can't do any better than the Holy Spirit-inspired writing of Mark. And so let's take a look here. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you've read this before, if you've heard this before, then I encourage you to lean in, listen closely, and ask God. God reveals something new to me today that maybe I've never learned or understood about you before when i've read this if this is your first time reading or hearing this story then buckle up it's a good one all right here we go mark chapter 5 verse 21 jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore now pause for just a second if you're like me it helps to kind of picture these things now, i don't know if this is 100 percent biblically accurate but when they say, when, when Mark says that there was this large crowd gathering around him, I picture like the crowds that would follow the Beatles around. And when they would get off a plane or they'd be walking into a venue and the, you know, the girls are just screaming hysterically, they're so excited. Picture that, okay? It's chaos. There's a large crowd gathering around Jesus when he's on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him. And all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, Look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembled, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Say those last three words. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus... Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The, the child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father, Jairus, and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talathakum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. That's an incredible story, isn't it? Where you've got these two healings that take place. They're very different, but at the same time there are some incredible similarities. So let's take a a moment to compare and contrast Jairus and this woman. Jairus is a leader in the local synagogue, we're told. This would mean that he would be wealthy, that he wouldn't be going without, that he had status in society, that he was looked up to, that he was respected. We're also told that he has a daughter, 12-year-old daughter, that in those 12 years had no doubt brought him tremendous joy and happiness. On the other hand, we have the woman. She spent all of her money. She has none left. She's been cast aside by society. She deals with the shame of being ceremonially unclean due to her hemorrhaging. And she's experienced this for that same period of 12 years. So for 12 years, she's limited religiously. She's limited socially, all because of this condition that she cannot fix and no doctor has been able to help her with. So based on how they are viewed by society, you can't get much different than these two. But we find them in this story with some important similarities. One, they're both experiencing suffering. As I mentioned, suffering or rock-bottom moments, those can be great equalizers in life where it doesn't matter how much money you have or what school you graduated from or what side of the tracks you were born on. Suffering is something we all experience, and so it's a great equalizer. But most importantly, the, the greatest similarity that Jairus and this woman have, that in their rock-bottom moment, they both chose to do the same thing. They choose to move from despair, a lack of hope that keeps you paralyzed and, and, and stuck in one spot, and they move with desperation to seek Jesus. This is an incredible story of people seeking God and finding God. We hold on to that dearly here at New Life. It's one of our core values that if you seek God, you're going to find God. Here or in Ogallala or North Platte or online today, if you seek God, you're going to find him. And I pray that this story as we dive into it will give you some encouragement that if you're at rock bottom or you know somebody else that is at rock bottom, if you seek God, he wants to be found by you. So it may seem fairly obvious, but when you're at rock bottom, the most important thing you can do, and what we learn from this story, is desperately pursue Jesus. Say that with me. Desperately pursue Jesus. That's what we see both of these individuals do. Both Jairus and the woman desperately pursue Jesus. Let's take a look again at what happens with Jairus in verse 22. When he, Jairus, saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. Heal her so she can live. Now as a leader in the local synagogue, Jairus undoubtedly had peers that were a part of the group that were after Jesus. They felt threatened by Jesus and they wanted to arrest Jesus. They wanted to crucify Jesus and at this moment... Jairus is saying, I don't care what my peers think. I am desperate. The only thing I care about is getting Jesus close to my daughter because I believe he is the only hope of healing. Now, I caution you to not always do what I'm about to talk about, but sometimes it can help the Bible come alive. And what I'm talking about is inserting you into the shoes of the people that we're reading about. All right? So, I also have a daughter. Her name is Zion. We've got a picture of her. She is the most beautiful girl in the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. Come on. She is the most beautiful girl in the world. I tell her that all the time. And to help me really have this story come alive, I began to put myself in Jairus's shoes. If my daughter Zion, the most beautiful girl in the world, is sick and on her deathbed, and we have tried everything that our resources will allow us to try, and she's not getting any better, you better believe that I'm going to move heaven and earth to get her close to Jesus. Because he can heal her. In a moment of desperation, I'm going to pursue Jesus like never before to get him close to my daughter. And the question that I have for each one of us today is when was the last time you desperately pursued Jesus? When was the last time you felt like you needed to move heaven and earth to get close to Jesus? It's somewhat easy to do that when you're at rock bottom, when you feel like you have no hope. But I'm going to tell you today that we need to do this. We need to make this a lifestyle no matter what's going on in our life. Maybe you aren't at rock bottom, but if you desperately pursue Jesus, guess what's going to happen when you are at rock bottom? You're already close to Jesus. And that's going to be a blessing and a benefit and a source of hope for you as you face your rock bottom. If you're at rock bottom, there has to come a point in your faith where you don't care who does or doesn't see you as you cry out to Jesus. Just as Jairus, he didn't care what his peers thought. He knew he had to get close to Jesus. Today, as we respond after this message in worship, I pray that you would just lift your voice. And that you would passionately worship Jesus. Regardless of who might see you. You can take an opportunity and, and make your chair an altar where you just sit down. And you passionately, desperately pursue Jesus. Because he wants to meet with you today. Will you desperately pursue him? Pride will give way to humility, and you will full-on pursue Jesus when you don't care what anybody else thinks. I'm reminded of a time, it was about six and a half years ago, my friend Jason at the North Platte campus. He went forward at a response moment, and he, he prayed, and he desperately pursued Jesus for the first time in his life. And he told me afterwards, he said, you know what, that was the first time I'd ever done it. And I'd always wanted to. I'd always wanted to pursue Jesus, but I was so worried about what everybody else would think. If that's you today, I want you to know that you're in a place where people will celebrate you pursuing Jesus. They're not going to judge you. But he came to me and he just said, you know what? I came to a point where I didn't care what anybody else thought. I only cared what Jesus thought. And he desperately pursued Jesus And he had an incredible encounter with him. Today, spend time on your knees in prayer. Lift your hands in worship. Sit down at your chair and just cry out to Jesus. Desperately pursue him. If you don't desperately pursue Jesus, you're going to stay stuck at rock bottom. You're going to sit there and you're going to feel like there is no hope. There is hope today. And his name is Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you're at rock bottom and and you don't want to stay there, you don't want to stay stuck, start by desperately pursuing Jesus and then move on to the second thing that we see in this story, and that is desperately cling to faith. Desperately cling to faith. You might think this would be obvious, but it's worth repeating that when we're at rock bottom and we may not have anything else to cling to, we must desperately cling to faith. In this story of Jairus and the woman, Jesus actually only speaks five times. That's at least all that Mark recorded. He speaks five times. And two of those times that he speaks up in this story, two of those times center around faith. And he's calling out faith. He's encouraging faith. This is how Jesus' interaction with the woman ends. Mark chapter 5, verse 34. Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith. Say faith. Faith. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Now, Jesus, he could have easily let her just anonymously drift from the crowd, physically healed, and to go on and to live her life different than before she'd encountered him. He had this crowd around him, and he had to get to this home to to save Jairus' daughter. But instead, Jesus stops. And he calls her out, not to embarrass her, but he looks her in the eye. And what's he call her? He calls her daughter. Jesus brings emotional healing in this moment, not just physical healing. Remember, she'd been outcast. She'd been told that you're not good enough. You're ceremonially unclean, so you have to stay away. You're not good enough for God. You're not good enough to be around other people. And so she didn't just need physical healing in this moment, but he calls her daughter And he gives her dignity and he gives her honor and he gives her respect. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He looks her in the eye and not only does she walk away physically healed, but she experiences emotional healing and spiritual healing. I love this about Jesus that he gave the woman way more than what she asked for. So when the scripture says that God will give us immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or dream or imagine, this is a practical example. This woman came just needing healing physically, and she walks away with so much more. And can you imagine the the testimony then that she would walk around and tell for the rest of her life? How many people would have been intrigued to come and, and pursue Jesus themselves because they had heard her? How many people are pursuing Jesus because you've shared what he's done in your life? G- G- excuse me, Jairus also had to desperately cling to faith. It wasn't just the woman, but Jairus did too. While Jesus is talking with the woman, the messenger arrives and tells Jairus that his daughter has in fact passed away and he doesn't need to bother Jesus anymore. But it's in that moment that Jesus, one of those five times, he speaks up and he calls out faith. He encourages faith in Jairus. He says, don't be afraid, just have faith. While we're at rock bottom, desperately clinging to faith, there are going to be obstacles that we have to overcome. In this moment, Jesus knew that Jairus was dealing with fear. He was dealing with doubt. He was feeling with disappointment. And Jesus calls that out. And then he just says... Have faith. You don't have to be afraid. Focus more on the faith than you are on those emotions that you're experiencing right now. Today, if you're at rock bottom and you feel hopeless, Jesus is wanting you to know that he sees you, he understands what you're going through, and he wants you to have what? Faith. Don't be afraid. Have faith. Don't be anxious. Have faith. Don't be angry. Have faith. Don't be, insert whatever it is you're feeling, and instead, have faith. That's what Jesus is leading us to and teaching us. Really, because faith in Jesus, it's an X factor in our rock-bottom moments. It's faith in Jesus that can change everything. When you're at rock-bottom, there will be circumstances that are beyond your control And so because it's out of your control, you can feel like there's nothing that you can do. And Jesus is saying, no, there is something you can do. There's the most important thing you can do. And that's to have faith. That's to have faith. There was a time in my life where I faced a a challenging situation, a rock bottom moment, if you will. It followed one of the mountaintop moments immediately, one of the mountaintop moments in my life. I'm talking about the birth of my wife Tiffany and I, our oldest child, Milo. He's now seven, he's about to be eight. And in that, let me, let me take you back to that hospital in the operating room. Tiffany had been in labor for almost a day and at that point I knew, no matter how strong I try to get or become, I'll never be as strong as my wife, okay? 23 hours of labor and the doctor says, you know what? I, we probably should just prep you and and take you in for a c-section. You can push for maybe another 45 minutes, but if the baby doesn't come, then at that point we'll have to do an emergency c-section. And so we make the decision, Tiffany and I did, that, well, let's go. Let's not be in a hurry. Let's not do the emergency c-section. Let's just make that choice. And so They get Tiffany prepped, and then they usher me into the operating room. And and I'm sitting there, and you would think, you know, you got nine months to prepare, prepare for the baby to arrive. But I'm telling you, when that doctor said he's here, and we didn't know if we were having a boy or girl, I felt weightless. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my gosh, I'm a dad. What do I do? This is incredible. And so they hand us Milo. And, and Tiff is laying there, and I'm able to show her Milo. And then they said, okay, we're going to finish this procedure. Why don't you go over to this, this room and wait for her? And then when the procedure's done, we'll take you both to the recovery room. And so I take Milo with me, and I'm sitting in this room with two nurses. And we're literally like 30-second walk away from the operating room. And they said it'll just be a few minutes. And so minutes after minutes after minutes pass, And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I thought they'd be done by now you know, and time passed pretty quickly, because I'm sitting there looking at my first child, which is pretty cool, but then I just look at one of the nurses, and I just said, hey, would one of you mind checking to see uh, if everything's okay, because they they said it would be done by now, and they said, oh yeah, no problem, it has been a little while, we'll go check, and so one of them takes off down the hall, and like I said, it's like a 30-second walk down the hall, and so I'm thinking, okay, maybe a, a minute and a half, two minutes, and she'll be back, and she'll give us an update on what's going on, and unbeknownst to me, she got sent on uh, an errand, and so she had to go run and do a few things, and she didn't make it back for like 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm sitting there the whole time like, what in the world is going on? And when she came back, she said, I'm really sorry, they asked me, they need me to go do some stuff. Um, it, it's taken your wife, uh, it's taken them a while to, to finish up the C-section because they can't get your wife to stop bleeding. And, and they're, they're giving their units of blood and they're, they've just run into some complications. And at that moment, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, okay, I, I can't do anything about this. I'm helpless. I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I can't physically do anything to help Tiffany. And so I, just, I talked to the nurses, and I said, well, both of our moms are here, and one of Tiffany's sisters is here. They've been waiting, and I'm sure they're concerned. So can I go... Can I take the baby, and can we go and and at least show them? And so we actually took the baby. We took Milo to the the ICU nursery, and then I went to this waiting room where I just broke down. I just said, guys, we need to pray because there's nothing that you and I can do besides that. And we know that Jesus loves Tiffany more than I do. And so in this moment where we have no control, the one thing that we can control is we can cling to Jesus and we can believe in faith that he's going to heal Tiffany. And so it was quite some time later, Tiffany gets wheeled into the ICU room. I come in and I'm talking with the doctor. And I said, Doctor, thank you, first of all. But then I know Tiffany had told me that those first couple hours are important for the baby and the mom to be able to bond. And and we're well beyond that. You know, is is it going to be okay? I'm first time dad, you know. And so I'm asking. And the doctor looks at me and she said, yeah, at least she's here. And in that moment I knew that Jesus had come through. Because even the doctor was saying there was a chance that we would lose her. But we didn't. And it was in that moment, that desperation, that I clung to faith. And I I just encourage you to do the same. You might be facing a similar challenging situation that is out of your control. But the one thing you can control is where are you going to put your faith? Is it going to be in you or is it going to be in Jesus Christ? The one that can actually do something about your situation. See, both the woman and Jairus, they had the faith to believe a simple touch from Jesus could change everything. And no matter what their circumstances tried to make them believe, their faith told them to keep going, keep believing, keep trusting Jesus. And before we get out of here today, there's one more crucial behavior that we we see in this story that's a good thing for us to pay attention to, and that would be this. Desperately endure delays. What does that mean? Desperately endure delays. I know immediately that that kind of might be somewhat of an oxymoron, um, but here's the deal. When we, when we face delays in our rock-bottom moments, we can just think, oh, we're stuck, and we can let despair creep in, and we can feel like there's nothing that we can do. But it's in those moments that we can endure, and we can continue to press on, and we can continue to rely upon Jesus. You see, while the healing happened in a moment for the woman, Jairus desperately endures delays along the way to his daughter's healing. He's by Jesus' side when he gets stopped by the woman, and I'm just—I think—being human. If you insert yourself into Jairus' shoes, he's got to be thinking, "I'm sorry, woman. I don't care. I—I don't want to. I don't want to sound mean, but I don't care about your situation because my daughter is dying. I've got to get Jesus to her side." He experiences a delay. Then Jairus is still by Jesus' side when he's told that his daughter has in fact died and that there's no point in bothering Jesus any longer. When Jesus takes that moment to affirm her and look her in the eyes, he had to have been thinking, Jesus, can't we hurry up? Jairus continues then by Jesus' side as they approach the home and find the the customary mourners that had gathered to weep and to wail and to mark her death. And then when Jesus questions them and they laugh at Jesus, Jairus is still there waiting and enduring. Jairus is desperate Endurance is ultimately rewarded when Jesus then heals his daughter and brings her back to life. When we're at rock bottom, we don't know how long we might be there. And what Jairus did in this situation is a great example for us that while we're waiting, while we're enduring, we can continue to have faith. We can continue to pursue Jesus. We can continue to seek him. Healing might come quickly like it did for the woman or it might ex- we might experience delays before it comes but let me ask you this and answer this on on the inside will your actions be driven by your circumstances or by your faith in Jesus see if Jairus lets his circumstances drive his actions then he gives up and he walks home and he just he he's resigned to the fact that his his daughter is dead but instead he lets His faith in Jesus drive his actions. In both cases, the woman and Jairus' daughter, healing happened according to Jesus' timeline. Desperately pursue Jesus. Desperately cling to him in faith and desperately endure whatever delays may come your way. Lastly, if you're at rock bottom and you're in need of healing today, whether that's physical healing, emotional healing, Mental healing, spiritual healing, whatever it may be, know that healing will come. Because healing is a promise. Say those words out loud. Healing is a promise. Sometimes we know that, but internally we struggle to really believe it. And there might be somebody sitting right next to you or in front of you that needs to hear that out loud. So one more time, will you just say healing is a promise? Healing is a promise. promise. It might happen on, on this side of heaven or it might happen once you're there and you're in the arms of the Father for eternity. But listen to this promise about what, it is, what is to come after this life for those who put their faith in Jesus. It's found in Revelation 21. He, being God, will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. That rock bottom moment that you're enduring right now isn't going to last forever, but your relationship with Jesus will. So lean into that. Your rock bottom moment that your friend is going through isn't going to last forever. But if you put your faith in Jesus, if your friend puts uh, their faith in Jesus then you get to look forward to eternity with him. And so today, what are you asking Jesus for? What kind of healing are you gonna to bring to his feet? Is it gonna be for you or is it gonna be for your friend or your family member, a coworker, a classmate? What kind of healing are you going to petition God Almighty for today? As you consider that, why don't you stand to your feet and let's pray. At all of our campuses, I encourage you, even if you're at home and you're connecting online right now, that in this moment, that we don't just check out, that we don't maybe just sing some songs because that's what the worship team is going to lead us in, but I want us to take a moment and let's respond. Let's passionately, desperately pursue Jesus together. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this story that gives us hope that when we're at rock bottom, we don't have to stay there that we don't have to just sit back and feel like it's all out of our control, that there's nothing that we can do. I thank you that you, you love us. And this story of Jesus with Jairus and this woman is such a great depiction of your love for us and your love and your, your desire to meet our needs. And so, God, we come today and we, we expect healing. We ask for healing in Jesus' name. We pray for those that are at rock bottom right now. We pray for those that you know will be at rock bottom soon. We're asking, Lord, that you would do something to turn their attention to you because you are the difference maker. You're the one that can bring healing and hope. So today, God, we worship you. We cry out to you. We passionately, desperately pursue you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.